listening to the Best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. Sunday, Austin. Welcome to Living Wealthy Radio with your host, Teresa Kuhn. Good afternoon. You are listening to Living Wealthy Radio, heard every Sunday at noon here on Talk Radio, 1370 AM, streaming live at talk1370.com. I am Teresa Kuhn, helping you live wealthier. Resources are available for you at livingwealthyradio.com. I know we've all done this. We've walked into a room only to get there and have no clue why you went in there in the first place. Or you've searched your brain for the answer to a question you know you know. We all have these moments in which we worry about our brain functionality and worry that we may be losing some brain power. Think about how your life might be different if you could increase your brain power by just 5%. What if you could increase your IQ by several points or become a better problem solver? The truth is, your brain has more capacity for learning, intelligence, and imagination than you realize. Our guest today, Dr. Wynne Wenger, is a pioneer in the fields of creative method and accelerated learning, brain and mind development, and political economy. He's a lecturer author of 55 published books, including breakthrough works like Discovering the Obvious and The Einstein Factor, and his unique nonprofit organization, Project Renaissance, is dedicated to increasing individuals' potential and accelerate the dawning of a new renaissance. Dr. Wenger, it is my privilege to have you on the show. I have followed your work um, for many, many years now, maybe 15 20 years, I don't know, a long time. I'm a big fan, and it is an honor to have you on Living Wealthy Radio. Well, thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What motivated you to pursue this line of research so many decades ago? Well, when I was growing up, I wasn't an ideal student. Uh, (laughs) um, You might call me an underachiever in that... uh, um, uh, the, the, my course with schooling wasn't all that smooth, and uh, later I found out that it re- really wasn't all all that much my fault. Uh, that schools were having trouble with uh, you know, anybody who was looking and seeing things for himself or had questions of his own. Uh, I kept making the same mistake that I would. Uh, uh, get interested in the subject. Well, it's the same mistake as an undergraduate. Uh, I'd, I'd get interested in the subject. I'd start to ask questions. The professor would find that inconvenient, and then I'd have to change majors. <laughs> and, uh, and this was not uh, apparently uh, unique to myself. Um, and one of the outcomes was that uh, I finally landed in a, a class with somebody who was using Socratic method. And uh, that worked beautifully. Uh, I'll have more to say on that later, I think. The other other outcome of that was that uh, I be- became a school teacher myself 
hoping to make things better for uh, students following me than uh, it had had been for myself. And early on, I very quickly learned that things were even harder for teachers that were trying to do anything special than it was for uh, students. And uh, here we are. <laughs> so a lot of your research, and correct me if I'm wrong, is based on uh the Einstein factor and expanding your, you know, anyone's brain, right? You you believe that yes. anybody can increase and improve their capacity for learning and imagination and creativity? Yes, there's a number, number of avenues coming to the same conclusion that maybe we can, you might almost say, drastically improve both the equipment we have to work with and the way we use the equipment that we have now. And the school system, and I don't know how long ago you were in school, but I imagine it was it was a few a years good ago. While. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, a few decades ago you were in school, but um, I, I, my belief is that it, we've become even um, the, the, the school environment today is even less prone to uh, help children become creative and. Thinkers and, and learners, right? It's it's more yes. structured to a core curriculum, uh, which is a buzzword these days, or uh, you know, factory type of learning, right? You're going to learn this, and you're going to spit it out, and you're going to regurgitate, and um, it's it's not geared towards increasing, improving imagination and and uh, and thinking. Traditional Prussians feel very much at home with our education. Hmm. So your research has shown what exactly? Uh, well, among other things, if we look at the brain, it turns out that it's not true that we're using 5% of our brain. It's more like 1% one, 1 of 1% one of 1% of our brain that we're actually using. Uh, <laughs> if you, um, for part of that, um, for, for our conscious thinking, which is essentially word-based, um, we have, by volume, two percent of our brain in, engaged in that kind of thinking, uh, the kind that we're consciously aware with, and uh, the rest is outside the focus of our attention and consciousness. Uh, so, uh, more than forty times as much brain is dedicated to associating by images, sensory images, than by associating by words and word concepts. And uh, if we look at it the way that J.C. Young, you know, everybody talks about the uh, our using 5% of our brain, but it wasn't 5% uh, actual use. Um, what J.C. Young did, and incidentally that folklore has been passed around, and hardly anybody knows the source of that in the first place, but the original study was by J.C. Young and... Uh, in that, he took samples of the brain and took as a measure of development that 5% uh, uh, of the cells in the brain have uh, dendritic connections to uh, other cells in the brain. And um, he didn't make any quantitative uh, assessment of uh, the degree of that development. So it was just 5% of the cells in the brain that were developed at all, which was what he was counting as the 5%. Um, but if you take into account that 
some cells in the brain connect to 30,000 or better other cells in the brain, while most of the cells in the brain that have connections are connected only to maybe a couple dozen. And you begin to see that um, factored together, less than 1% of 1% of 1% of our brain is uh, functioning. And uh, a lot of what we were working with is back-of-the-mind stuff, like you... Uh, uh, oh, I know such and such, it's on the tip of my tongue, if I could just get at it. Uh, how many times have you had that experience? Every day. <laughs> right? Well, I think we all do. And uh, uh, it's a it's an example of the fact that a lot of our information is back of the mind. And uh, it expresses itself to us in various ways. We found imagery to be one of the more important of the ways. One picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, and for some questions, it, we can ask ourselves some questions and get back immediately uh, literal answers. This tends to be for devices and tech, uh, technical issues uh, and science issues. But um, we can also, uh, more often, I think, get back uh, metaphoric answers. There's more meaning packed into a metaphor than into straight answers, I think, because uh, these are pretty, usually pretty rich experiences that come back. We ask ourselves a question, we, we uh, see from the back of our mind, so to speak, uh, an image which is an answer to that question, and if we do certain things with that image, we find out what that image represents, and we've gotten an answer to some important question. And uh, we all have this capability Image streaming is what I call the pictorial part of this, the sensory image part of this, but it's uh, far richer even than that in that you've got the, the whole panoply of the uh, back of the mind processes going on. You have in the back of your head right now, or at least in the back of your mind, uh, uh, an ongoing sensory image commentary on what we're just talking about, and so do your listeners have in the back of their minds. Uh, images representing aspects of what we're talking about, and if they ask themselves questions about what we're talking about, they'll get back answers from their own brains. So are you speaking of, when you, when you speak of back of the mind, are you referring to the unconscious mind? Yes, only it's not unconscious. Uh, we may be unconscious at times, but uh, it's anything but, and so I prefer to refer to this beyond the focus of consciousness, uh, 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 conscious attention at least. Um, the, I prefer to call it the uh, beyond conscious. Beyond conscious. So I don't like referring to it as subconscious because that means it's yes. below, right? And I think it's more powerful than our conscious. That's yes. why I call it unconscious. But you refer to it as beyond conscious. Yes. Beyond conscious. And... Einstein, what did he have access to? Did he have, um, I, I mean, what was so different about his his brain and his mind and how he accessed his beyond conscious mind? He got a lot of cross connections going between uh, the sides of his brain and between different regions of his brain. And in fact, that's one of the issues we're after in terms of improving the structure of the brain is getting more cross connections so that more of the intelligence of one section of the brain is available to other sections of the brain and vice versa. How did that happen for him? Was he born that way, or did he develop that? Well, part of his verbal development was delayed, and uh, then he had to fill in the gaps. Yeah, that was part of his part of his problem with uh, math and so forth. 
and I guess he overcompensated uh, for for his initial lacks. But uh, a lot of the things he did just helped build. Uh, for instance, he was preoccupied with the subject that he was interested in, uh, physics, and he'd go on long walks with his friends and argue at various points of what he was uh, thinking about, and he ran little mind experiments where, in well, if you were approaching the speed of light, um, uh, what would happen in what you were seeing around you kind of thing, and uh, he'd describe that to his friends, and his friends would describe their impressions to him, and that was sufficient to build connections across the brain, and he was able to get some of the back of his mind engaged in what he was looking at, and uh, the rest is history. So he wasn't born a genius? Correct, uh, except in the sense that maybe we all are. Uh, so he wasn't born any different than you and me, maybe, or, or maybe the average person, right? Um, Correct. I, I'll include me in the average, not you. <laughs> so he was born... Oh, definitely, definitely I'm in the average or even a little below average. Maybe I've overcompensated for some things, but uh, at least uh, uh, it's what I'm doing that's of interest and, and not anything special about me. And so he was born average, and he overcompensated, and so developed part of his brains, uh, part of his brain by overcompensating. Yes. And, and so we, any one of us, can do this. Yes, and we've been looking at some of the techniques for this. And one of the techniques for this that uh, is quite important, I think, is Socratic method. Uh, I bet every one of your listeners, without exception, has probably heard reference to the Socratic method at one time or another. Well, certainly, and I went to law school. Uh, I am a non-practicing attorney, and, you know, law school is taught using the Socratic method. They have a special form of the Socratic method where it's weaponized. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the the kind of Socratic method that yields the best results is uh, what what is called myutic, referring to the... uh, idea of uh, bringing bringing to birth, bringing to full focus of consciousness the insights and understandings that the learner already has. So as, give us an example. A, well, uh, examples like what we're working with, we pose, pose ourselves a question and then uh, or each other a question and then describe the impressions that we have coming up on a rather freewheeling basis. The more freewheeling we can make that process, the better the chances of getting uh, a breakthrough insight. So it's all uh, about the question, or the question. It's about the question and uh, and the describing to either an audio recorder or a live person as listener or some external focus, uh, whatever impressions you have unfolding as a result of asking that question. So let's role play. All right. You start. Uh, I can model it as, as image streaming if you ask me a question, or, or did you have some other form of the process in mind? No, I, I'll, I'll follow your lead. Okay, what would you like to ask about? Uh, let's. Um... Something I hope that you care deeply about, because <laughs> that brings more resources online than when, when we could care less what the answer is. Okay, so I care deeply about. Um, 
my son's education. I have a 17-year-old, and um, I'm concerned about college and his uh, opportunities for college. Okay. I, I don't know if that's a good topic, but... It is a very good topic, and my immediate response to that is an image of a sunflower, almost a smiling sunflower, pointed towards the sun, as sunflowers are wont to be, the heliotropic. And uh, I, I think he needs to find some particular faculty person who is doing work that he admires. Mm. Uh, a strong model for the kinds of intellectual growth and uh, development that uh, uh, a strong model will probably be one of the best or perhaps the best and strongest uh, inducement to his own development and offsetting other influences but going in other directions. Okay. So how do I respond? Keep asking uh, questions? Well, that was that was the, my response to your question. Um, if I did the full process, I would then go to other images that were in, were entirely different, but which somehow were the same answer to the same question. And then, when I broke out the features of those respective images, what was the same from one image to another when everything else was different? And that helps lock in what the uh, metaphor actually is. And so the images, are these images you that whatever pop into your head that you explore? Yes. Okay. Very good. And so our listeners, how, how can they apply this in their own lives? Well, what I've done is to break out a whole set of instructions and put them free online. And... Uh, uh, I don't know, is this advertising? To, oh, uh, no, 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 no. You are welcome to, to um, promote your website. You've got amazing information on there. Okay. The base, basic website is http colon double slash www dot and then Win Winger, treat, treat that those two names as one word, winwinger.com. And then the part that has this directory of problem-solving methods is uh, uh, at the end of that slash following the com, so slash solving, like in solving a problem, dot htm. And we'll have the link on our website as well. Um, oh, great. For the show, so absolutely. So solving dot html? htm. htm, Okay. All right, and on there you've got um, information on how to solve problems in working with image streaming? Yes, and then there are two other uh, files, either one of which will help you validate uh, your answer and uh, make sure that you got the right interpretation. Uh, in fact, you can use the same, same formula for uh, uh, interpreting dreams because we do have some significant dreams that are ways of our inner workings trying to tell us things, that everybody's got their own code, so to speak, their, their own representational system. And so these dream dictionaries and so forth that people kick around with don't really work, or at least work very well. Uh, but what does work is things like the uh, process I just described to you, you 
using basic image streaming in response to a question. When you get your image, you record the details of that image. Uh, like I was giving you a couple of details of the sunflower with a smile and so forth. And uh, then, then you sort of thank your faculties for that answer, ask their help in understanding that answer, which presumably is metaphoric, and I think the sunflower was, um, by giving you a fresh set of images that are totally different from what the first set was, but uh, somehow is giving you the same answer to the same question. And if I were to do that now, a little bit after the fact, um, uh, <laughs> I, I see uh, a combination of things. Uh, I see a, a telescope laid out along a track, uh, and the track is uh, it points the telescope at the sun. So we still have the sun in the direction of focus, and I also see... Uh, either a truck or a payload that looks a little bit like a truck uh, laid on the track uh, oriented towards the sun likewise and what I I'm, I'm taking a couple of shortcuts that probably probably obscure somewhat the, what the, the uh, process as I'm trying to represent it but uh, uh, I, I could take up an awful long, long time if I weren't careful here. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, I, the, I, uh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Okay, just that the common elements there are the sun and being aimed at the sun. And the, what I'm also picking up from the uh, the truck part is that, and it would take a long time to explain it, but the association I have for it with, is that he needs to interact with that admired from a distance model. And the very interaction will get him off to a great start if he, if, the, if the faculty he's interacting with is at the college that he's going to. Interesting. You know, he happens to learn very well one-on-one. Um, -on -one. um, mm -hmm. So that's, it's interesting that you've come up with that. Um, well, let's um, go ahead and take a quick break. Um, can you really train your brain to think like Albert Einstein or Benjamin Franklin? Our guest today, Dr. Wen Wanger's research shows that the superior achievements of famous thinkers may have been more the result of mental conditioning than genetic superiority. We're going to take a quick break, but we will be back to discuss how you can train your brain to work at its highest potential. Living Wealthy Radio. Visit Teresa's team online at livingwealthyradio.com, 1-800-382-0830 now. Call 1-800-382-0830. Welcome back, Austin, to Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Is intelligence inherited, or can you learn to think smarter? Our guest today, Dr. Wynne Wanger, has identified the tools you can use to reach greater levels of sharpness and insight and overall intelligence. 
Let's talk about how you can access a higher level of intelligence. Is everything is on your website? Is it um, like on the first page? Does it refer to all the other where all your information is? Is it easy to navigate? Well, some of the web pages are uh, ten or fifteen years old, and we've gone past some of that and. I'm in process of uh, replacing some of that, but I think that everything that's on there now is factually correct. Okay. Good. But we have s- some stronger roots for some of the things we we are addressing there. Are you are you going to update Einstein Factor? Um, quite possibly. I've I've got a number of other books done, and I'm currently drafting a uh, uh, primer on uh, creative problem solving that'll be uh, on the same scheme as my primer for teachers called Three Easy Tactics to Use in Your Classroom, How to Teach Smarter, Not Harder. Uh, I'm drafting an easy tactics book for students and an easy tactics book for parents and for tutors um, based in part on uh, Socratic principle and uh, I probably will complete a third third book also on the creative problem solving. The the, the main main book, initial book being well a per, fourth book I should say, because um, we already have uh, the discovering the obvious book, which is fairly advanced compared with the others. Um, there's a introductory book now called uh, Your Creative Problem Solving Toolkit. Um, And there's a book that's more generalized into uh, developmental issues than into problem solving, but has a good deal of problem solving method in it called A Method for Personal Growth and Development. And then there's (laughs) one or two others that I could cite that... uh, on the pre on the problem solving side of things. So, how might your work, your books, your research influence the lives of our listeners on a day to day basis? Well, I think this is where our easy tactic strategy comes in. I've been finding ways to make this set of resources that everybody has, but hardly anybody's getting to use, uh, totally as accessible as possible. So, I've put raw instruction step-by-step on the website, for instance, uh, how to do some of these processes, and you'll find that the website is considerably more elaborated in each of these processes than a counterpart in the uh, Einstein factor, uh, because I've come to appreciate more and more uh, how how much people need some sort of uh, structured guidance in uh, exploring their own inner workings. And instead of Instead of doing like some religions have and uh, uh, use effective methods to gain control over people, and I'm distributing methods that people can use to gain access to themselves and their own resources. And so um, I've also noticed, especially in the teaching side, and this is where I started with the easy tactics approach, uh, is that... uh, uh, People have been suggesting reforms to education for some time. The schools have been ignoring those 
proposed reforms um, for a variety of reasons, but one of the principal reasons is that uh, nearly always uh, the methods suggested uh, involve considerable investment in expense and capital and materials and uh, uh, trainings and uh, most of other other factors and above all a lot of attention and uh, uh, re retraining of teachers and uh, the teachers have it up on them now, and the reason teachers' unions have been a source of opposition to reforms, which have been so successful in keeping the schools in the dark ages, uh, has been that the, the teachers ordinarily are under such intense pressure, demands for their attention jogging their elbows constantly and irregularly, and uh, they... What the, what the teachers need from their standpoint is a relief from the pressures rather than intensification of pressures and another even louder insistence on uh, another and even more demanding uh, method of reform. And so what I've done and am attempting to do is to make this totally accept, accessible as possible to uh, as many teachers as possible. And in fact, what has happened with it, because the teacher can uh, easily bridge interruptions and uh, uh, fill gaps and so forth, or, or even when she runs out of steam on uh, on uh, on something uh, and needs to regroup her thoughts, uh, she can tell her class, please turn to the person next to you and answer this question to the person next to you. Um, what for you is the most surprising thing you've heard so far today? And the, the children buzz on that. Or uh, uh, other question is like, uh, uh, what one thing and what we've covered so far today seems to be most important in the sense that if a change happened to it, more other things would change. Or uh, when we were talking about such and such just now, uh, where did you find your thoughts and your attention? Um, did it remind you of something far different than what we were talking about? And if so, what do you think was the connection? And the purpose of those questions is to uh, not only to uh, uh, connect up with the definition of learning in the uh, uh, so-called so paradigm among educators, that is, that uh, learning is finding connection between current learning opportunity or situation or material and other elements of one's experience and perception um, to the extent that that definition is a correct one then it makes sense because of all the differences between students in the classroom to uh, facilitate the students into making their own connection with their own experience and perception instead of um, one-size-fits-all, cookie-cutter type uh, uh, exposition from the teacher and or the text. You must be optimistic uh, about our educational system if you continue to uh, publish and, and promote materials to help teachers. I'm actually not that optimistic. I don't, I don't know of too many school systems in this country today that would embrace 
your methods of learning. In fact, I think quite the opposite. They're moving completely uh, in the opposite direction by implementing the the Common Core. I mean, I I so wish that they would implement your stuff. Your stuff is is amazing, and and we know based on your research um, how it enhances creativity and independent thinking. But isn't that exactly the opposite of what our educational system is trying to promote? Well, actually, um, I think we're on the same wavelength there in terms of what school systems generally are doing, but we don't have to get every school system to agree with us before something happens. As it happens, we've gotten two schools so far to teach with our methods. And the first one, the one in Buffalo, um, the teachers liked what was happening so much, and it gave them so much relief in their own classrooms that now the teachers' union in Buffalo has endorsed our method, actually for our educational reform instead of opposing it. And this is a public school system? Uh, It was a diocesan school, uh, a Roman Catholic school. Really? Um, Awesome. the, The second system is in the public school system, and that's over in Indianapolis, a school uh, called Music Music IQ Inc. or whatever, and that was a school especially for students at risk, youth at risk in uh, inner city. And it was originally created to uh, use music as a way to keep them in school and uh, not have them drop out. And uh, then they they picked up the method in uh, my recent little book, uh, Three Easy Tactics to Use in Your Classroom. They taught themselves. They didn't even, have, didn't even need to uh, be trained, although I think training might have been some help too, but I intended my, our training to be uh, a help and not a requirement for uh, the progress. That's part of the easy tactics strategy is, is I think that teachers who use our uh, uh, method find the results so very pleasant and such a relief to them that uh, we get responses like the Buffalo Teachers Union's response in enthusiastically supporting our method there. Well, what are the results for the students? What have they found? Well, in Buffalo, they found that the intellectual growth of their students on average was accelerated by almost four and a half years per year, 4.4 years per year, intellectual growth of uh, their students. And part of that was uh, not losing the previous rounds of growth. Um, What startled the the whole program and startled the the teachers as as well as others involved with the project was that uh, uh, in in the fall, in the autumn, after after the spring, uh, students hadn't forgotten most of what they'd been taught the previous year, and they were able to take off right on the level that they left off in the spring rather than having to go back and recapitulate for half a year to regain the ground lost over the summer. And that indicated to us that this is as pleasant an experience for the students because it provoked thought and it provoked interaction among the students that uh, supported and kept fresh the things that had been learned, the skills as well as the content, during the previous year with our methods. So your method promotes uh, 
actual thinking. It promotes learning how to think and learning how to learn. Yeah, in fact, uh, think of it this way, and this applies actually to essentially all of Socratic method. Um, have you ever been in a good argument? Sure. And when you were in that argument, didn't you find yourself reaching in all directions to find, especially if you had a stake in that argument, a position, a stake, um, reaching in all directions trying to find support for your case? Sure. You're, it's, it's like, you know, all, all engines in your brain are like, are on, right? And you're just... Uh, that's right. And that's precisely what happens with the Socratic method. The student digs to support his case, his argument or whatever, and uh, he makes further connection with his own experience, which is what we've got to refer students into if they're going to get meaning out of the learning that's at hand. Hmm. Why do you think... Um, our society today, our government today, wants to dumb down our, our the population, uh, wants to dumb down the educational system. I, I believe it's on purpose, but why do you think it is? Well, I see it as a natural outcome of uh, uh, that we fail to head off in, in that we are very good at starting up institutions or building institutions, but institutions have a tendency to... Uh, want to standardize people so that it has fewer issues to contend with. And uh, so we um, tend to lop off not only the problem children, but make problem children and lop off uh, who are gifted or talented or, or otherwise positively exceptional, except in sports where a Darwinian factors, you might say, have... Uh, have uh, led to success being defined in terms of excellence instead of mediocrity. Do you think our educational system favors uh, girls over boys? Um, I'm not sure it favors anybody. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, it favors those who um, sit still and don't make a fuss. Which would be more likely to be a girl over a boy, right? Yeah. Um, Certainly, but I, I agree. I mean, the system uh, really leaves a lot to be desired, but I think it's catered to- more towards, you know, a girly girl who can sit there and follow directions. And, um, you know, for the rest of the kids, uh, it leaves a lot to be desired. And what's unfortunate is they, I think it's ex- you're exactly right. It's it's a factory type of educational system. Um, they're, you know, pouring in content. Uh, kids are being tested on that content. They're learning to test, and they're coming out, you know, robots, not really knowing how to learn, yes. not learning how to think for themselves. And I think that's the outcome that they want. I think mean, it's, it's precisely the outcome they want. It's what they're getting. Well, I think maybe unconscious motivation may be stronger there than conscious motivation, but... Uh there is indeed some of that, but I think most most of the problem is one that uh, we switched in the 1870s and 80s to the Prussian model uh, when we started thinking in terms of education giving us more uh, uh, cannon fodder for um, for our military power and more e- economic fodder with. Uh, um, uh, the, the people on the production lines, and uh, anybody stopping stopping to think or question uh, was an inconvenience and would hold up the production line. 
And uh, so we just took the industrial model right over into education and overrode a lot of the things that uh, we're now complaining about. So what's your prediction for the future for our society, continuing down the tr- the road that we're on? There, I might be giving too much of an answer because uh, what well, a large part of what got me into this in the first place, I was concerned with the fact that, as illustrated by Arnold Toynbee, a British historian and some other great historian, historians and social theorists, was that... Uh, uh, a lot of civilizations prior to our own um, did themselves in quite literally. Rome didn't fall to the barbarians. Rome sank itself with the barbarians sucked into the uh, meat grinder. Um, the uh, processes by which uh, at least 30 other major civilizations besides our own did themselves in, um, for instance, the Spanish conquests in uh, Central and Latin America um, weren't weren't conquests so much as they were uh, just simply a collapse of the system uh, that was there, and uh, uh, as that society pretty well did itself in uh, the Mexican society, the uh, Incas, the Mayas, etc. Um, and since uh, some of this same things going on are pretty recognizable. I, when I got into uh, studying this starting in uh, 1948, <laughs> I've been at this a while, uh, I, was, I was concerned and since everything that we value is uh, at stake in what happens to our civilization, I began to be a little bit concerned as how how to head off the same thing happening in our civilization, and that was one of the things that motivated me into education. And and in education, when I finally ran across the literature on creativity, there was looking for ways to stimulate some unstimulated students. Uh, I. Uh, um, that was a motivating a motivating factor in my investigating uh, uh, creativity and creative problem solving, and hopes of finding a solution that would solve the problem of civilizations doing themselves in, and open the path to continuous, uh, continuous and possibly self-accelerating growth and development. And uh, the th- one thing I can claim credit for is when I first ran into the creativity literature, it occurred to me to uh, uh, propose that uh, if you have a good method for solving problems, one good use of that method is on the problem of how to create better methods of solving problems. Can you simplify that a bit? Well, it's a question of reinvestment, uh, because the best use of those better methods in turn is on the problem of how to create even better such methods. And so it's a reinvestment of your best methods in creating better methods. And anyone who follows that for a while is going to end up with some pretty hair-raising stuff, and we have. Dr. Wenger, uh, conventional wisdom does tell us that 
We're born an overachieving nerd or a star quarterback with a brain that does not <laughs> venture right beyond the field. Based on your research and your work, this is absolutely incorrect. Just yes. as I teach my clients how to manage their money smarter and more efficiently, um, you can train your brain to work smarter and more efficiently. You don't have to settle with mediocrity. Based on, Dr., your work, we can improve our lives and even our society by simply changing the way we use our brain. And you yes. might just discover your inner Einstein. Thank you so much, Dr. Winger, for your life's work. I personally know of um, several people who have practiced uh, your your exercises and have changed their your, their brains. I myself, I'm one. Um, and we will post your links on the Living Wealthy Radio website along with a copy of this uh, of this recording and the show today. Um, Again, thank you so much for your work and and for joining us on Living Wealthy Radio. Well, thank you very, very much. I have one one question for you at this time. Absolutely. Um, I have drafted a set of instructions for people to form their own think tanks and to train themselves and each other in some of these problem-solving methods, and that can be extended also to the educational methods. I'm wondering if I if I were to send you your uh, 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 copy. You're listening to the best of Living Wealthy Radio with Teresa Kuhn. Be sure to catch our show live every Sunday on 1370 AM Austin. For information, archives, and upcoming presentations, visit our website at www.livingwealthyradio.com. What if there was a place where your hard-earned cash could grow safely and sanely without being pilfered by bankers, Wall Street, tax collectors, or other persons of dubious character? A place where you could say no to the motion sickness-inducing ups and downs of the stock market. Where you didn't have to grovel on your hands and knees every time you wanted to borrow money from some tight-fisted banker who collects all your private data and then turns you down. Such a world sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, it isn't. All you need to do is call toll-free right now and ask for your Living Wealthy Financial Information Packet. It costs nothing and it will tell you exactly what you need to do to chart a more prosperous financial course and take back what belongs to you. So, do it. Call right now. 1-800-382-0830 That's 1-800-382-0830 Or, visit our website at www.livingwealthyfinancial.com You'll be glad you did. 